great to be here with you guys tonight. Man, what an awesome night. I feel bad for those who were first-timers last week. I'm glad that some of you guys came back. Uh, because last week, I, dis- I discussed how the belief that God controls everything is not only toxic to your faith, but it also suppresses your potential in the kingdom. I really kind of messed up some of you guys' theology last week. <laughs> I feel a little bit bad about that. But I'm encouraged that so many people have been awakened to not only their potential in the kingdom, but also their eyes are now open to what's around them. And so tonight I'm going to give you a second dose of that. Hopefully you come back for a third time. I feel this is your second time over here. And I'm going to expand upon that thought about God is not in control, but he's in charge. There's a powerful implication behind it. And last week, just a really quick cliff notes about it is that the notion that God controls everything is just this Christian cliche that's everywhere. But yet, we don't find it anywhere in the Bible. And in fact, we actually are told in 1 John 5.19 that the whole world is under the control of the enemy. And that how the enemy wants to cause confusion in our life according to what is happening around us, that we'd be confused because if we're confused, he leads us into inaction. And that confusion is one of the most powerful weapons the enemy has against us. And the paradigm that God is in charge, not in control, is entirely consistent through the life of Jesus, through the disciples, that they never ever tolerated the works of Satan. And they said, I take authority over what Satan has done here. And so tonight I want to continue that, but with a different aspect. And so what you decide about this particular topic tonight, it could be the most single influential topic in your faith to turn about how you look at the world and how you participate in the kingdom. And with all my messages, I am totally okay if you disagree. You do not have to disagree with me at all on any of this, but I'll tell you where I'm at, is I'm on a war path to be a radical world-changing machine. And this truth that's inside this message, this is like the core of my blueprint. And I want to share that blueprint with you, but I realize that not everyone wants to change the world, and that's okay, um, because what you don't do doesn't bother me. I have to give an account for me, not you. So I'm sharing with you what my blueprint is for my life. I hope it's encouragement to you. And let's pray. Jesus, we just come before your word. And Lord, we just trust your word. Lord, we trust the words on the, the, the scriptures and the, the paper, Lord. And we just trust that your word is true. We also trust that it's true for what it means for us. So God, would you awaken our eyes, our minds, may we be attentive and be able to hear what you want to say, Lord, through tonight. We're available to hear from you, to have our world changed, to have our theology changed. So God, we put our eyes upon you. We ask that you'd be our teacher, our instructor tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to change the world... If you want to be active in the kingdom, if you want to have your life be significant, you have to agree with this single idea. Is that the world is not as it should be. If you want to change the world, you have to be in agreement with the single truth that the world is not as it should be. 
And here's the fundamental question, question that is inside that idea that will determine every single detail of your life about how you look at yourself, how you look at God, how you look at everything around you is this question. Does God's will always come to pass? Does God's will always come to pass? See, we have this funny thing as Christians, is that when we see the first statement, right? We're like, the world is not as it should be. All of us are like, amen, yeah, I'm there. The problem is the majority of Christians actually believe that everything that happens on earth is a result of God's will. Many of us believe that the world is not as it should be, but we also believe that God's will is always done on earth. Well, which is it? You never even knew there's a contradiction there before, did you? Because these two ideas are in complete opposition to each other because you cannot believe that God's will is always done while also believing that the world is not as it should be. Because otherwise you believe that God's will on earth is producing an inferior result. So let me let you in on a little secret with that. If you believe that everything on earth is a result of God's will, but you believe the world is not as it should be, the enemy is going to use the theology that God's will is always accomplished on earth to make you numb to the pains of the earth. Let me state that one more time. Is that Satan uses the belief that God's will is always done to numb you to the pains of the world. How does he do that? is your heart is ravaged by pain and suffering, tragedy in the world. And so your heart is like leaping out of your chest. What is going on? But then your theology says, well, this must be God's will. And suddenly your theology begins to make space and room for the things of the enemy instead of the things of God. How can we look at the great tragedies of the world and say, I don't understand it, but it's God's will that this is happening. It gives us permission to not feel the same emotions that Jesus feels as he looks at children starving. It allows us to be cold to the homeless person walking around with a sleeping bag, going down at 10 p.m. at night on Folsom Boulevard. And we allow our theology to justify the circumstances on earth because we just automatically assume that if it's happening on earth, it must be the result of God's will. Don't mistake it. Jesus never mixed the works of the devil with the works of God because that's a divided house and a divided house will not stand. And so if you want to be a world changer, if you want your life to make an impact, your theology actually has to align with your heart. I try not to watch things that disturb me and break my heart, but I have to because it's so easy to, to be numb to the pains of the world. I have to put myself in touch with people who need food, who, with people who have uh, pain and, and issues in their life. I have to not isolate myself from it. Because it's so easy to sit back and just say, well, God will take care of you. When he's like, you're in this world so that you take care of them. And so our theology sometimes plays against us because we can sit back and justify what happens around and give ourselves permission not to get involved. Now, you might be saying last week about God not being in control 
and just in charge. That was stretching, but this week it might be a little bit more for you. So I imagine right now you're thinking like, wait, God's will doesn't always come to pass? Come on. Let me give you a few examples. And for anybody who, I'm only going to scratch the surface on this topic. I happen to have finished a book on this topic. For anybody who wants it. Consider the following. The first is that Jesus wept over Israel. Jesus wept over Israel. So Luke chapter 19, when Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. How do you authentically weep over something you made certain would happen? How does Jesus authentically look at his own people rejecting, resisting him and weep if everything that was happening on earth was a result of his will? But we can understand Jesus' grief a little bit more in Matthew's account of the same situation. This is Matthew 23. It says, Jesus saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Do you notice Jesus' words here? How often I wanted to gather you, but you were unwilling. The will of God actually was for Jerusalem to recognize their Savior, but their own will, their own stubbornness, their own theology, their own religious leaders said no. And so Jesus weeps over not his will, but his will not being fulfilled. In Ephesians 4, we're also warned, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's interesting. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit if everything that happens on earth is a result of God's will? Is it God's will that you grieve him? That doesn't make sense. That's an odd thing to say. How can we grieve the Holy Spirit if we are impossible instruments to counter his will? Here's another one. That Jesus couldn't do miracles in his own hometown. This is Mark chapter 6. It says, And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place, a few, except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. How do you feel about your Bible saying that Jesus couldn't do something? It doesn't sit very well with me. How does God's will always come to pass? If here Jesus was willing to heal his own hometown, his own home people, but yet people resisted and he couldn't do it. Those should be some of the most troubling words of all the scriptures for us, that Jesus couldn't do his miracles. We also see that Jesus says that it is not the will of the Father for anyone should perish. Matthew 18, 14. It is not the will of God that anyone should perish. But how many know that every day people perish without knowing him? And we know conclusively that it is the will of God that people are saved, without a doubt. And most significantly, the most obvious one that I don't know why it took me so many years to recognize that was there before me all this time is when Jesus instructs us to pray for God's will to be done on earth. 
He says in Matthew 6, 9, Pray this way, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would God ask you to pray for something that's always already done? The reason Jesus says, pray for my Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven is because God's will isn't being done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. There's no reason to pray for what already is. We pray for what should be. So let me revise our original statement. If you want to be a world changer in the kingdom, if you want to be empowered to make a difference, you not only need to believe that the world is not as it should be, but also that the world is not as it should be because the will of God is not always done on earth. This is just a few examples. They're all over the place of what God has designed and planned and purposed and to see that his will is subject to these forces on earth and the result is that God's will is not always done on earth. You might be like, well, how is that possible? How does God's will not always come to pass on earth? And the answer is shockingly simple. Are you ready? God's will on earth doesn't always come to pass because God's will in you doesn't always come to pass. God's will on earth doesn't always come to pass because God's will in you doesn't always come to pass. There are 70 passages on the will of God. There's a lot of them. Some say, it is the will of God for you to rejoice. How many of you have had a situation where maybe you had some creative words come out of your mouth in in response to a situation? It says the will of Lord to be pure in your relationships. How many of you have had dating relationships? Let's just say like maybe Usher was on, we had a good view, and you know, just things kind of got out of hand. I don't know. People say it's impossible to be outside the will of God. You haven't visited a high school or college then, if you believe that. But this notion that God's will always happens on earth is not possible while we still have people that can disobey God's will for their life. Why is it that the Pharisees are mentioned all over the place? They're like the, like, why are you still here? You know, as you're reading, like... The antagonist that's always there in the scriptures. Like, do we really need another rebuke of these guys? Like, we get it. They're not on team Jesus. Why do we keep mentioning them? It's because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious rulers, they are the ones who knew of God the most, but knew Jesus the least. They knew everything about him, but when the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus in the flesh, stood before them, the scriptures, the word made flesh, standing right before them, they couldn't recognize him. What is the lesson that we can learn from the Pharisees? Is that God's purpose and plan in them wasn't fulfilled. Like, well, where does it say that? Actually, it says in Luke chapter 7. It says, but the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Jesus even told this to their faces too. In John 5, 39, it says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. He said, he studied every single thing 
in the scriptures that's pointing to me and you don't see me. And he says this, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. The story of the Pharisees is not a whole bunch of bad guys that needed to be in a good story of the Bible. The story of the Pharisees is how you can have all the head knowledge and miss the sun. That you can have God's great purposes for you and resist it and miss it. That God can have purposes and plans for you and you not see them fulfilled in your own life. We see that the will of men coming against the will of God is right here in the scriptures for us. What do we do about it? Now you might be thinking like, hold on a second. I know Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that you have for me. Now, the one slightly annoying thing about that passage is no one ever quotes it in the full context. They think, oh, like I have a new car. God, I know you have the plans for me. You know, like, and I have nothing wrong with great things and nice stuff. No problem with that at all. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, that when you seek me, you'll find me. His plan is that you would find him. Every plan of God returns to him. Every plan and purpose of God in your life returns to him. And you might be thinking, well, wait, what about all these things that, other things that God has plans for me? And he does. But unless you know that you have to participate in it, God's purposes for your life won't be fulfilled. Unless you know and you choose to participate in the purposes of God for your life, you won't see them fulfilled. In other words, God won't stop you from ruining his plans for you. Let me say that again. God won't stop you from ruining his plans for you. Just like the Pharisees and just like Jerusalem, God's holy people, God's own possession. And here they are resisting the Savior who they had longed for and studied for their entire lives. And you need to know not only that just God has a plan for you, but you need to know one very important other nuance to that is that, yes, God has a plan for you, but so does the devil. There's not only just one plan for your life in existence. Wait, are you saying that the will of Satan can thwart the will of God? Actually, I am. Now, I know that like it's going to spur in you a bunch of resistance there, but did you know that the devil's will is at work in people accomplishing his will on earth? In 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, verse 26, and Paul is writing to Timothy talking about believers who've been gone astray, and he says this about it, says, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive in order to do his will. That people are being manipulated by Satan in order to fulfill the will of Satan. Does everything happen on earth? Is it a result of God's will? Not my Bible. You probably didn't even know that the devil had a will that was being accomplished by men. Believe it. 
If you don't know what is truth, you might fall victim to Satan's plans. How can you materially resist the devil when you don't know his works, you don't know his plans, you don't know his purposes? You don't just like walk into a battle and like, I don't know, we'll just see how this goes. If you don't know how the devil operates and is designing his plan against you, how do you plan to be victorious? We see it clearly in here. How do we resist the devil if we don't even know what he's capable of? If you never knew that the devil can inspire in you to will and to act according to his purpose, how would you ever know to resist it? The point is, whether by the devil, whether by your stubbornness, or whether your stupidity, you can miss God's plans and purpose for your life. Where are my Salvation Army fellows at? Come on, guys. I love you guys. Look at these hands. I went, I've gone a couple times to their gatherings. These guys charge it for the king. I'm like, like in the back, just feeling like I'm on cruise control compared to these guys. I mean, we have like amazing worship. We have these different things here. We got great lights, you know, we have all these different things. And these guys are packed in this room, a little tiny you know, scream at the words, and they're just charging it. I love the hunger. I love the passion. But every one of these guys would probably tell you that their pathway to this program probably wasn't God's first choice. Amen, fellas? That God had a better plan. But you know what's awesome? Is that in the midst of you guys standing up, you guys decided to go to God's next plan and say, I trust God to not only help me out of this, but to rework it for my advantage that would set me on a more powerful track than I ever would have been before. Now, I don't believe that God needed you to go through the valleys and go through the wilderness, but he's going to say, while you're there, I'm going to bring you out of it in empowerment and and in strength. You guys are emerging not only victorious, but you're emerging stronger and you are emerging powerful. And I really believe that you are going to make Satan regret ever enticing you. As I was writing that little line, it was clear as day that I saw your faces like, you are the devil's worst nightmare come true. Like as you guys are exiting and walking on your victory, like he's, the devil's like, oh crap. (laughs) Because not only are you guys victorious, but you have the keys to his plan to dismantle his works around you. You've seen it. You know, it's like, I've been there. I've defeated this. I stand strong. And I'm going to save you the shortcut that you could take on your life and help you not ever go through this because of what I've been through. So when we talk about God repurposing his purposes for you, you already stand upon the victory that other people are waiting for. You guys get me excited. Why is it important to understand that God's will for man doesn't always come to pass? Why is it, so we we talk about earth, right? But this might be the first time you're thinking about that God's will for people isn't coming to pass. But how does that relate to earth? Here, are you guys ready? God has given man responsibility for what happens on earth. If you're unhappy what's happening on earth, don't shake your fist at God. Go take a look in the mirror. 
one of the most transformational revelations you can have in pursuing understanding of God's will is to understand how he has entrusted earth to you. Psalm 115, 16 says, The heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth has been given to man. In the eighth Psalm, David marvels at this amazing reality, saying that, Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty, and you make him to rule over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet. It's the revelation that man has been given rule over all the earth and everything in it is just astounding. If you didn't feel empowered, then feel empowered right now. (laughs) But the author of Hebrews, reflecting on the amazing transformation of Christ, quotes the 8th Psalm of David, quotes this, but then adds some context about how we're doing right now with the authority that we've been given And he says this, quoting the 8th Psalm, talking about us, talking about Jesus, says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. He says, but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. It's the stunning admission that man has been given authority over all things, but that man has not used his authority yet. This is the stunning realization that earth has been given to us and that all things are in authority to us, but we did not even realize that we had the keys in our hand. As we learned last week is you cannot take authority over something you cannot identify. And you actually can't take authority over anything when you don't realize you have authority over it. We're going deep. And many of us, Christians, we're complaining about the journey, but not realizing that we are in the driver's seat. The earth is man's kingdom. So when we see injustice, it's a call to who we are to wake up. Not to sit back and be like, God, I'm going to let you get this one. Happy that your will always happens despite my inaction? I don't think so. The living God did not die on the cross. And Romans 8.11 says that the power of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He didn't do that for you to go to church and to do sin management and have your life suck just a little bit less. Like he put the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, not to tithe, not to just sing good songs, but he put it in you to change the world because he is living in you. So when we question how or why the devil can have influence, he has, we need to realize the world is filled with Christians who refuse to rule the kingdom that has been given to them. If you're unhappy about the devil's workings, you might want to ask who's in charge and why we have so many Christians who are asleep at the wheel having no idea that they've been given the keys, that they've been given authority, that they've been given power. And in this, our poor theology actually empowers the devil. Our inability to recognize his works empowers him to do more. It's only by the realization and the recognition 
of who we are, what he's done, what he's entrusted to you, and the eyes that where our hearts are already being broken for the world. It's just requiring us to do something about it and stop saying God is in control and his will always comes to pass. The answer is actually that we stand forward and stand up. So let me revise again our statement. If you want to be a world changer, if you want to be active in the kingdom, is you need to identify and believe that the world is not as it should be because the will of God is not always done on earth nor in man. And it's man's responsibility to change that by his power and authority that has been given to him in Christ Jesus. Are you guys doing okay? Now, I can realize that this is like a frying pan to the face. I get that. I can tell you honestly, like this is not a position I held even five or six years ago. But the more I seek out who I've been transformed into, the more the calling on my life gets louder and louder and louder. This is a very inconvenient message for a lot of us because it's far more convenient for you to believe that God's will always comes to pass regardless of what you do. It's much less convenient to be called to greatness. It's far easier for us to believe that God's will always happens on earth rather than to identify that we've been called into partnership with him for greatness. And so to come to the realization that God's will on earth doesn't always come to pass can sometimes feel like a letdown. As I'm like coming through these scriptures, like finding like Jesus couldn't do miracles, Jesus wept, it's God's will for people to be saved, but people aren't being saved. Like, it was this huge letdown because I had all this security wrapped up into that if I make a mistake or I don't do something, it'll all be okay. It was a huge letdown for me. Like, I felt kind of just brought back. Like, oh my gosh, like, we have a really weak God. And here, if you're feeling any letdown, if you're feeling any insecurity, know this, is that it is better to be let down by truth than to be comforted by a lie. It's better to be let down by the truth than to be comforted by a lie. But if you feel that, here's a second thing about it. If you feel nervous about this, if you feel exposed, if you feel let down whatsoever, here's why. When I realize it, I'm like, God, are you really strong? Jesus, are you really good? Like, how do I explain all of these things that are going through it? And here's the clear truth. If you feel that tonight, it's because you are unaware of your own potential. If you feel let down whatsoever, by the truth of that, God's will doesn't always come to pass. It's because you are not in touch with your potential in the kingdom. And as you come into awareness of who you actually are in Christ, that you have been given every spiritual blessing, that sin shall not be a master over you, that you are the victor, not the victim. When you realize all the amazing things about you, we cannot help to know that not only are we not alone because Christ lives through us, but also he has called us into partnership to reconcile all things to him. You notice in 2 Corinthians it says that therefore anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and he's given you the ministry of reconciling all things to him. 
It's this amazing call that no matter what you do, you are bringing a fallen world into your authority to reconcile it back to him. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing in the kingdom, you're like Jack Bauer. You're like Chuck Norris. You're like Superman. You're like Spider-Man. And it's not about you because here's, can I go on a tiny rant? I'm done with this. The most unhealthy thing you can do ever for your faith is to refer to God in the third person. There's no such thing as God apart from me. He lives in you. You are his new home. He dwells in you. I love to how tonight we talked about like that he's here. We don't need to like call him here. We don't need to like beg him here. He's already in you. And we realize that, that we are inseparable from him. That God is united with us. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, that whoever belongs to him is united with him in spirit. We should have this like crazy revelation that there's no such thing as God apart from me. You are God's greatest idea ever come true. You are his blueprint for how he's reconciling all people to him. He's given you everything. And then if that wasn't it, he lives in you to make sure that you're never alone. You don't need to say, oh, I did all this and oh, I just give all the glory to God. He's like, you, you can't because I'm in you. <laughs> You're making this really confusing for everybody else. I want you to change your mind. Don't refer to God in the third person. Well, God never does that. What is in us? We can't make these absolutes and presume that we have no connection to what God's doing on earth because he is, as we know in Philippians 2.13, God is acting in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his purposes on earth. God is working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. Christ in you is the world's greatest revelation that we can ever have we understand that, we can truly change the world. Would you all stand for me? I'm just going to make a few declarations over you. Then we're going to pray and we're going to have a little time of worship. If you're on our leadership team and you can come forward, we're going to do some prayer ministry too here at the front. If you got a scram out, we get it. But I just want to make some declarations over you. Would you open your hands? It's just a sign of just to receive. You are not a sinner saved by grace. That might be who you were at one point, but that's not who you are. You are the carrier of the Holy Spirit. You are the manifest presence of God. He is in total union with you. There's no such thing as God ever apart from you. He calls you into reasoning with him. You have all authority. You have every spiritual blessing. You have been entrusted with the keys of the kingdom. You have been given the mind of Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You have been united with him. We denounce and break every single lie that would say that God does anything apart from me. 
and that I can do anything apart from him. There's no such thing as doing anything that is not in conjunction with him. Your job, no matter how big or how small, he's there and your excellence in it is glorifying to him. You don't need to think about how to spend more time with him because he is in you. We call forth your mind to be aware of his presence continually. We declare that you are made for great things, that you are the head, not the tail. We declare that the blood of Jesus was expensive. It wasn't cheap to transform you. We declare that every single area of victory that you want is yes and amen. The promises of God are yes and amen. You are a world-changing machine. You are a Holy Spirit superhero residing on earth. You're not a sinner saved by grace waiting to go to heaven. He's welcoming you forward. He's ransoming the world with your life. In Jesus' name.